You're listening to the Oddscast, the original UFC betting podcast that's straight to the point. Hosted by leading MMA oddsmaker Nick Kalikas and MMA journalist Brian Hemminger, they provide you the absolute best UFC betting info, picks, statistics, and analysis from the most respected authority in mixed martial arts betting. MMAoddsbreaker.com. Don't place your wagers without us. Welcome to the Oddscast. I'm Brian Hemminger, joined today by leading mixed martial arts oddsmaker Nick Kalikas of Circus Sports to break down this Saturday's UFC 263 event, which takes place in Glendale, Arizona. If you're unfamiliar with our format, Nick and I will break down the fight card from top to bottom, providing extensive analysis and a pick for each fight after doing our film study for the event. UFC 263 features a 14-fight card in total and will be aired on ESPN+, UFC Fight Pass, ESPN, and Pay-Per-View this Saturday night. Let's dive right in. Now, kicking things off on the preliminary card is a heavyweight contest featuring Carlos Felipe, who is 10-1, and Jake Collier, who is 12-5. Now, Nick, where did this fight open, and how has the public shifted things so far? As always, a couple quick notes before we get rolling here. The opening betting odds that I'll be referring to here on this podcast are from MMAOddsBreaker.com, our opening betting odds article for UFC 263. They're market opening prices, and the article is done by Adam Martin. So head over to MMAOddsBreaker.com and check out the article for UFC 263 opening betting odds. And the current odds that I will be quoting are from Circus Sports here in Las Vegas, CircusSports.com. If you're in Colorado or if you're in Nevada, make sure you log on and get the app. Anywhere in the world, actually, you can get the app and log on and check out our lines. But if you're in Colorado and Nevada, that is the place to bet on UFC and MMA and all sports in general. So check out CircusSports.com. That's where the updated odds I will be quoting are from. Also, UFC on the line for UFC 263 is available at UFC Fight Pass, exclusively on Fight Pass. So make sure you head over. All of my official bets for this UFC 263 card are located on UFC Fight Pass on our UFC on the line show. And it was a great show, a fun show. Uh, We have a special guest. So you guys make sure you head over to Fight Pass and check that out. It was a lot of fun. Getting right into the first fight of the night, Felipe opened minus 200, the comeback on Collier at plus 170. That was the market opening price. And right now over at Circus Sports, we currently have Felipe at minus 175, the comeback on Collier at plus 152. Man, we're starting things off with a head scratcher for sure. I mean, automatically I lean a little bit more towards Felipe in this spot. I think he is a better striker. I think he could do more damage. Um, across the three-round fight for sure, possibly knocking Collier out, of course. I've been pretty impressed with him thus far. I mean, he entered his UFC career on short notice, fought a very game Sergey Spivak, and actually you know, came close to pulling off the upset there. It was it was pretty impressive, and then followed up with two impressive wins. Now, he's not getting as much love for that Tafa win because Tafa looked so bad in his last fight. I think the stock has kind of dropped a little bit because of Tafa's loss, if that makes sense. It's a little bit correlated to Felipe here. So I think a lot of dog action has come in on Collier because of that loss um, from Tafa, which kind of is interesting, and at the same time, I think it's unjustified in some you know, some way because matchups are everything and they're a little bit different. So Felipe actually matches up a little bit better with Collier here in this spot than I think people are anticipating. But that said, I like what I see from Collier. I'm glad that he showed back up and got a W in his second fight at heavyweight. I don't, you know, I mean, it is what it is right now at this point of his career. He was fighting at middleweight back in the day. He's a pretty well-rounded fighter. I think he he showed glimpses of talent for sure. So I think he probably is the better mixed martial artist in this spot and has more pure experience. But I still think this is a very difficult matchup for Jake Collier at this point. So I'm going to side with Felipe. It's kind of a difficult one for me to bet at the betting window, obviously, because I realistically could see it go either way. But I still think it's Felipe's fight to win or lose. So I'll go his way. 
And I'm not nearly as confident about this fight as I was when it first got announced. Um, I thought, you know, Carlos Felipe is going to steamroll Collier, but looking at it, it's not quite as easy anymore. I mean, Felipe, as Nick said, you know, that win over Tafa doesn't look nearly as good after Tafa just looked terrible. Um, And Collier, while he looked awful in his return, uh, getting finished very quickly, he did showcase some skill against Volante. And, you know, he does have uh, some decent striking. Now, he's not in tremendous shape, but uh, Collier, surprisingly, even though he is a former middleweight in terms of height and reach, believe it or not, he actually has some advantages in this fight. He's three inches taller than Felipe, and uh, he's got a a couple inches in reach on him as well. So uh, that does surprise me. Um, One thing that cannot be overstated, though, is age difference. Uh, Now, that doesn't matter nearly as much at heavyweight as it does at some of the lower levels where, you know, those quick reflexes and fast twitch muscles and everything are just so much more important. But Felipe is about six and a half, seven years younger. But Felipe is about six and a half, almost seven years younger than Collier. So you have to take that into consideration as well. Uh, Felipe has a much better chin in terms of durability. So while I'm not nearly as confident in Felipe as I was, uh, I'm still going to pick him here. Uh, I'm a little nervous about it, but Felipe's chin should hold up uh, over the course of three rounds, whereas Collier's shouldn't. Uh, you know, Collier got blasted by Aspinall in his loss. Uh, And I think Felipe has that type of fight ending power as well. So it just takes one shot. And while I wouldn't be surprised to see Collier Collier walk away with a decision and outwork Felipe over the course of three rounds, I think Felipe can still finish him uh, at some point along the fight just with one big shot. So Felipe is going to be my pick. Now dropping down to the lightweight division, we have Faris Zayam who is 11 and 3 taking on Luigi Vendramini who is 9 and 1 Now Nick what's the MMA odds makers perspective on this one Vendramini open minus 120 the comeback on Zium at even money and right now over at Circus Sports we currently have Zium at minus 132 the comeback on Vendramini at plus 112 Another good scrap man at lightweight for sure this should have some fireworks written all over it here, back and forth we go. But I think both these guys have a lot of finishing potential. Um, ZMB and one and one in the UFC thus far, I've been pretty impressed with him, man. I think this kid at age 24 shows a lot. He's got that length. He's got the kickboxing background. So he's kind of a sniper on the feet. He utilizes it very well. I think he's a very good striker. He's working on his wrestling to the point where I've been impressed. You could see that the work in progress that he's made becoming more than just a one-dimensional striker and being a well-rounded fighter is getting there. And again, at age 24, I think we're going to see a lot of improvements fight by fight in his game. His takedown defense is getting better. His submission ability is getting better. His submission offense, everything just across the board, you could really see how this guy could be a sp- potentially a special fighter at 155 pounds for sure with that length, with that frame, with that skill set. The other side of it, Vendramini's looked pretty impressive as well. I mean, that fight over, that win over Ayari was 
quite the performance by him. I mean, I think it opened up a lot of people's eyes. He shows that he does have power in his hands. I mean, his loss to Zaleski, I mean, at the beginning of that fight, he showed us that he's got some really good grappling. I mean, he was close to choking Zaleski out as well. So this guy is no slouch for sure, and he's a very dangerous opponent. I just think his conditioning is lacking a little bit. We haven't seen as much um, from him against solid competition. Um, ZM's competition level across the board, even before he came into the UFC, I think was better. So he's been tested a little bit more. Where Vrandermini is kind of still, I think, developing and learning in real time, meaning that this is kind of the toughest competition that he's faced. Even though he's coming off of a pretty impressive win and knockout performance in his last fight, I still think I see more flaws in his game. He's not as smooth in the striking department as ZM is. I think he's not as good of a wrestler either. And again, his conditioning, I think, lacks a little bit as well. So across the board, I actually think ZM has him beat here. If he doesn't get finished, if he doesn't let Vandermini catch his back or hop on his back and go for that rear naked choke, I think Vandermini is in big trouble, especially as this fight progresses. I could see ZM ending this fight in round two, maybe even early round three, but getting him out of there. So I do think this, the finish is potentially there for ZM. So I'm going to pick him and I think it's a favorite or pass situation at the betting window. And, you know, on paper, these guys are very evenly matched. I mean, you look at it and they both had very poor UFC debuts and then bounced back with wins. Uh, with with Zayam, he dropped to Don Madge in the debut, came back and got a, a decision over Jamie Malarkey. Uh, Vendramini took on Elizu Zaleski up a weight class on short notice and got steamrolled, but then came back two years later and destroyed Jesse Niari in his last fight, even got a, a performance of the night bonus for his efforts. Um, now, looking at them in terms of skill, I just think uh, Zayam is the, the, the better striker. I mean, he has more technique. He mixes it up better. Uh, Vendramini is dangerous and powerful, and he could end this fight if he connects with something nasty. But uh, Zayam is five inches taller, has the reach advantage, and has the technique advantage. So um, if Zayam can keep this upright and get to work with uh, his overall skill set without, you know, doing something silly like give up his back or or leave a big opening and expose himself to a counter shot or something. I just think Zayam walks away with this. Honestly, uh, I just think he is that much better than Vendramini overall. Uh, the only thing I'm worried about with Vendramini is, you know, that one big shot from power uh, standpoint. But I don't think Zayam is going to put himself in as perilous a situation as Ayari was because Ayari was just so aggressive that he just walked right into one. Uh, and I think Zayam will be picking his shots more, trying to use that reach advantage properly. And I think Benjamini is really going to have some difficulties dealing with that. Uh, so I just think Zayam flusters Benjamini over the course of three rounds and wins a relatively safe uh, and cautious uh, unanimous decision victory. So Zayam is my pick as well. Now... Dropping down to the featherweight division, we have Steven Peterson, who is 18-9, taking on Chase Hooper, who is 10-1-1. Now, Nick, where did this fight open, and how has the public shifted things so far? Peterson opened minus 180, the comeback on Hooper at plus 155. And right now, over at Circus Sports, we have this fight exactly a pick of minus 110 either way right now. Across a Betting market on the Donbass screen, we're seeing Peterson still at around minus 120, slight favorite there. So it's basically pick and fight all the way down from minus 180. More action coming in Hooper's way. Every time Hooper fights, it's going to be a challenge betting his fights or picking his fights. 
I mean, it is what it is. We all know what he's got on the ground. It's phenomenal. This guy is a finisher, an elite level grappler uh, once he gets it to the floor. But the problem is, can he get it to the floor? His wrestling is still a work in progress. He doesn't have the greatest takedown ability. So he kind of needs some help and he needs his opponents to make some mistakes or be vulnerable to the takedown to be able to get this fight to the floor and have success. But once he's there making a mistake, he can finish most of his opponents. So that's what you get with this guy. And all it takes is one takedown a lot of times for him to get in the right position and end a fight. So very interesting and very difficult. That's what I'm saying. It's, on the other side of it, Peterson is a savvy vet. I mean, this guy, he's deserved to be in the UFC for quite some time now. I, I've been waiting for this guy to get his opportunity uh, because he's just been one of those guys that's been kind of, you know, battling along and, and winning against high quality competition outside the UFC for a long time. So it was good to see him finally get the call and, and make it to the UFC and showcase what he could do. And he's had a couple wins. I mean, with the ultimate fighter, of course, and then he got his first official win in his last fight against Bravo in the UFC. So it's good to see him. And he's got that well-rounded skill set. He's got that warrior mentality. He's got that toughness in him. Um, I don't think he's ever been submitted. So that's kind of an interesting factor in this spot as well, because he does have a pretty good ground game. He's got the better wrestling here and the better standup. So if this fight does not hit the floor, I think Cooper's in trouble, like in most cases, right? I mean, that's the narrative there, and it's correct. It's it's kind of an easy fight to call. If Hooper gets it to ground, he might be able to finish Peterson, even if Peterson's never been submitted. If if Hooper does not get this fight to the ground, he's going to get busted up on the feet. Peterson's going to probably pretty much walk through him. And if he doesn't finish Hooper, which Hooper's a tough guy, let me tell you that, he could definitely take it. I don't know how he survives some of the punishment he does take on the feet at times, right? So Hooper's not an easy guy to get rid of. He does have that fighter's mentality, that toughness. I give him a lot of credit for that as well because he's obviously a, a pretty young fighter he's only 21 years old so he's kind of still developing growing into that um you know next level for him in fighting he's still got a long way to go as far as maturity goes physically and mentally so there's a lot of growth to still be done and had by cooper here in this spot but he's still a dangerous guy on the, on the floor so with all that being said I'm going to lean a little bit more towards Peterson because I do think he's the better mixed martial artist. And I think if he doesn't fall under Hooper's trap underground, he should win this fight more times than not. So it is what it is. It's an interesting one. If you guys have a lot of confidence betting this fight, good luck to you. I sure as heck do not. I think it's going to be a pretty interesting fight. But like I said, I have to side with Peterson. There's no other choice for me. And I'm going to go with Peterson as well. Now, I'm not crazy confident about this. Uh, Peterson is basically a, a journeyman in uh, the UFC featherweight division. But, you know, as a journeyman, you know, he's been there. He's done that. He's seen a lot. And uh, I don't think Hooper really presents anything that Peterson isn't prepared for. Uh, Peterson is by far the superior striker. And Hooper is by far the superior grappler. So it just boils down to, can Hooper get this to the floor? Um Hooper does not have very good wrestling. So even though Peterson doesn't have the most amazing takedown defense, it's serviceable. And if he can keep this fight upright, it's a blowout. Now, I'm not sure he'd be able to knock Hooper out because Hooper is pretty tough and he can, you know, take his licks. But uh, Peterson should be able to outpoint Hooper and win a decision here. But if he makes a mistake, if he leaves an opening, if he allows Hooper to close that distance and get a hold of him and drag him to the floor, this becomes a whole nother ball game because Hooper is crazy talented on the ground. I mean, basically, if he gets you on the ground, he either submits you there or he ground and pounds you to victory. Uh, so Peterson has to be just be doing 
everything he can to keep this fight upright. I mean, honestly, I would just keep my hands crazy low so that you can stuff any potential takedown attempts and then just fight awkwardly uh, and not take any huge risks. It, it should work for Peterson. Uh, and if he game plans for this properly, he should win. But again, if for some reason Hooper is able to get this fight to the ground, uh, he can absolutely win it. So I'm picking Peterson, but I'm going to be nervous about it for the entire 15 minutes. Now, moving back up to the lightweight division, we have Matt Frivola, who is 8-2-1, taking on Terrence McKinney, who is 10-3. Now, Nick, what's the MMA oddsmaker's perspective on this one? Frivola open minus 430, the comeback on McKinney at plus 320. And right now over at Circus Sports, we have Frivola minus 280, the comeback on McKinney at plus 235. So market did go down across the board right now. Market pricing out there about 260s. Uh, 240s even out there, so we're kind of market high. I think Frivola does won, win this fight. I mean, McKinney's taking this fight on short notice. Obviously, that should be said. Camacho was supposed to originally take on Frivola. Camacho pulled out of the fight. McKinney steps in. McKinney just had a fight not too long ago, obviously. The highlight is out there on Twitter. Um, if you want to check his last fight out on LFA, it was a devastating ground-and-pound knockout. That's what kind of power this guy has. I mean, on the feet, He's definitely somebody you got to be cautious about and worry about because he does have the kicks. He's got the punches. He's got the ability to end a fight with one technique. I mean, that's how dangerous McKinney could be, and he's got that kind of special knockout power. But he does make mistakes. He's vulnerable. I think the other side of things with his defense at times, I think he's capable of, of making one mistake and then losing position, which he cannot afford to do in a spot like this against Frivola, because I do think Frivola is the type of fighter that takes advantage of those mistakes and makes you pay for it. Frivola's stand-up is a bit underrated. He showed toughness. He puts on a very high-pressure, high-paced type of fight every time he's in there. His last fight against Sarukian was not a bad performance, even though he you know, suffered a setback and he you know, he's coming off a loss in that fight. Sarukin is still one of the best fighters in the weight class right now. So there's a lot to like about Frivola here. I think he's just going to be a step ahead of McKinney. He needs to be cautious again about McKinney's power. But outside of that, I think he kind of, kind of weathered that storm. And I think he can outpoint McKinney, possibly even finish McKinney along the way. I think uh, Frivola is the more stable and I think offensively and defensively sound grappler here in this spot. And I think he's going to push a high enough pace where it's going to be a tough fight for McKinney. So I do lean for Vola. I think he can win on the scorecards. I think he could probably get a finish along the way as well, but the danger aspect of things are there. And that's why everybody came in on McKinney because he has that kind of special fire firepower that he could deliver as well. And it's going to be a fun fight. Make no mistake about it. I mean, it's going to be kind of a back and forth. Both these guys are going to have their moments. I just think for Vola will be the clear winner in the end when it's all said and done. So my pick is for Volo, but again, laying minus 280, 240s, 250s out there with the power that you have on the other side isn't maybe the smartest thing. So probably a better idea to kind of watch this fight and see how it plays out and just enjoy it more than anything else. Basically, Frivola was supposed to face Frank Camacho and then like a car accident happened that knocked Camacho out of the fight. So now he's taken on McKinney on crazy short notice. And the one thing about McKinney is he is a finisher. If uh, you get yourself in a bad spot against him, you could be in huge, huge trouble, especially quickly. Uh, just looking at his record, I mean, he has wins in uh, 43 seconds, 7 seconds, 43 seconds again, uh, 17 seconds, uh, and then most recently... Uh, then there's 16 seconds and most recently a minute 12. So like 
Now, he's not always taking on the greatest competition, but, I mean, those last two wins, 17 seconds and a minute 12, those were both in LFA. And the last one was the main event of an LFA show uh, just uh, a couple days ago. So, I mean, he is literally just fought. Um, so, I mean, he is fresh. He is in fight shape. He has not taken hardly any damage. So, I mean, he is here to kill. Um, that being said, you know, when he has stepped up against some UFC quality competition, even though, uh, you know, it didn't happen for him this time, uh, or most recently, uh, he did, you know, come up short and he lost by stoppage, uh, back in contender series, Sean Woodson, uh, finished him with a flying knee back in 2019 and Derek Minner choked him out with a triangle choke, uh, in his next fight after that, a few months later. So, you know, those are two, the two times he's faced somebody that was really UFC caliber and he did end up getting finished, uh, both times. And I think Matt Frivola is the best fighter he's faced in his entire career. So this is going to be, you know, very difficult for him. I really think so. Um, basically if he does not catch Frivola with something nasty right away, he's probably going to get finished at some point or at least lose a one-sided decision. Uh, Frivola should be the better wrestler. I think Frivola is the the more technical striker. He's just a really solid, well-rounded guy without really any weaknesses. Um, the, if there was any weakness with uh, Frivola, it's, I wouldn't even say chinny, but he's been rocked. Uh, so th- the fact that McKinney has this type of power, this nasty fight-ending power, and he can finish you with head kicks and all kinds of crazy stuff, Frivola is going to have to, you know, be on his defense and make sure everything's, you know, sharp. Uh, but barring him getting clipped in the first round, Frivola should be able to win this fight. So I'm going to pick uh, Frivola to win, but just be careful because anything can happen in MMA. And we've seen some crazy stuff happen with some of these short notice debuts. So uh, I'm picking Frivola, but just if you want to hedge it, do like McKinney and round one or something. So, all right. Now, dropping down to the women's Bantamweight division, we have Pani Kianzad, who is 14 and five, taking on Alexis Davis, who is 20 and 10. Now, Nick, where did this fight open and how has the public shifted things so far? Kianzad minus 235, Davis plus 200. And right now looking over Circus Sports, we currently have Kianzad coming in at minus 190, the comeback on Davis at plus 165. Another difficult one, man. I mean, at the betting window especially, because Kianzad is definitely the, the more improving fighter. She's getting better. She's getting more confidence. We've seen, I think, some drastic improvements throughout her game from the Ultimate Fighter till now. It's been pretty impressive, and she's had a pretty decent career even before she entered the UFC and got the shot in the Ultimate Fighter as well. So, She's ready, and she's ready to kind of step up her game and, and go to the next level for sure. And Davis is the type of fighter that's going to, I think, be a good test for her to see where she's at. Because Davis, don't forget, I mean, a lot of people might not remember how good Davis was. I mean, she's legitly a contender at 135 pounds, meaning that, I mean, in the Bantamweight division, she was up there. She was one of the best for a long time because of her skill set, because of her toughness, uh, because of her fight IQ. She's got the takedown ability, the underrated striking across the board. Alexis Davis is just a very slick 
overall fighter and, and her ability to understand what she has to do in fights, I think is very impressive. And she's going to go for the takedowns here against Kianzad and make this kind of a grinding kind of grueling fight. Cause even though she has decent serviceable standup right now is not her best moment. I mean, she's 36 years old. She's definitely not in the prime of her career, even though she has a lot of life left in the bandway division and she could pick off a lot of these up and coming fighters still. I think somebody like Kianzad on the feet is going to probably be a little bit too much at this stage of her career. And Kianzad could probably bust her up, maybe even finish Davis. So she wants to make this an ugly grinding fight, get the fight to the floor and try to work her submission game, try to work her grinding style and, and just kind of outpoint out work. Maybe even look, I said, like I said, the submission on the ground for Davis to get the W here. Kianzad's going to have to stuff some takedowns. She's going to have to piece Davis up on the feet when she gets the opportunity to win this fight. I think she's improving to the point where she could probably do it. I'm not as confident as the current odds indicate. I think it is definitely a dog or pass situation. There's no way I would lay the the price here until I see Kianzad kind of get past this mark. I mean, Davis is kind of being used as a gatekeeper, so to speak, and we've seen her shut the door on up and coming, uh, you know, talent before too. So I think that this is again, a very difficult test for Kianzad. So it makes it a hard bet at minus minus one ninety. Um, so it, it is a dog or pass situation in my opinion, but I am going to pick Kianzad still to get the win. It's just going to be a very close and head scratching type of performance. I think either way, because Again, I'm not overly confident she does get it done, so I almost want to pick Davis. I've kind of been flipping back and forth, as you guys can tell. That's how much I think Davis might be a live dog in this spot here against Kianzad. But that being said, I'm going to stick my head. I think Kianzad is the better, more improving fighter at this moment in time, and I think she can deliver some punishment and probably walk away with the win here against Davis. But at the betting window, another spot where you cannot lay the chalk, I think it's dog or pass. The thing that makes me nervous about Kianzad is... When she does lose, it's typically on the ground. Um, you know, her ground game is not a strong suit. Now, on the feet, she is one of the better strikers in the division. I mean, not quite Amanda Nunes level, but I mean, she's right up there and can hold her own with just about anybody else at 135. That being said, um, if she gets taken down, uh, just look at her track record. Tanya Evinger, ground and pound stoppage victory against her. Uh, Raquel Canudo, rear naked choke victory against her. Macy Chieson, uh, back on the tough 28 finale, rear naked choke victory against her. Uh, then Julia Vila won a decision against her. Now, she's been on a nice little stretch here where she's won three in a row against three quality opponents as well. Jessica Rose Clark, Bechko Heya, Sajara Eubanks. Um, and she's been able to win because she kept fights upright and was able to outpoint her opponents and outstrike her opponents. Um, and I have no doubt that if this fight stays standing for three rounds, uh, or even just two out of three, then Kianzad is going to win a decision. Uh, but Alexis Davis did go back to her ground game and was able to win a fight that people were counting her out of uh, against Sabina Mazzo in her last fight. Um, now, on the feet, she does have some striking skill, but she's going to be outclassed. So I would expect her to lose any round that stays standing. But on the ground, she's dangerous. I mean, you look, and throughout her career, uh, she has been able to find ways to win uh, by getting fights to the floor, whether it was her armbar against Sarah Kaufman, uh, you know, she choked out Shayna Baszler, um, even if you go all the way back to her strike force days, she actually has a ground and pound victory against Amanda Nunes, of all people. So 
if she gets it to the floor, I think she can not just win, but potentially finish Kianzad. She has a very good ground game, and she is able, while not the most powerful, uh, is able to pour on strikes from top position as well. So I think that Davis, as long as she is smart and works for takedowns and gets this fight to the floor, is a live dog here. So I'm going to pick Davis to win, but again... If Kianzad's takedown defense is just too sturdy, uh, she could win in a blowout. So I'm picking Davis, but she absolutely 100% needs to get this fight to the floor if she is going to win. Now, moving up to the featherweight division, we have Hakeem Dewadu, who is 12-1-1, taking on Mavsar Evloev, who is 14-0. Now, Nick... What's the MMA oddsmaker's perspective on this one? Evloev, open minus 280. The comeback on Dawadu at plus 240. And right now, what we're seeing over Circus Sports, Evloev, minus 235. The comeback on Dawadu at plus 200. This is an awesome fight, man. I mean, what a featherweight scrap. Two of the rising featherweights looking to kind of solidify themselves into the upper ranks and, and get themselves eventually in the title mix. Both these guys have a bright future. Both these guys are at the prime of their careers, age 27, age 29. This is going to be a battle, man. Evloev, of course, is the favorite for a reason. I think he is the more well-rounded mixed martial artist as a whole, meaning that it's that grinding style. He's got the wrestling. He's got the ability to kind of slow the fight down when he needs to, grind you up against a cage, get some takedowns, has some submission ability, of course, as well, and has very good striking, and it's constantly improving. So he is the more well-rounded fighter, deservingly, the favorite here in this spot, but Dawadu is consistently improving his overall game. His takedown defense is improving. His striking, I think, is better than Evloev here. So if Evloev cannot grind on Dawadu, I think it's Dawadu's fight to win or lose, to be honest with you. Again, I'm expecting this to be a razor-type fight because even on the feet, it's going to be close. Both these guys are going to have their moments, but I still think Dawadu's a little bit slicker. He's a little bit faster. I think he could do a little bit more damage along the way on the feet. And I think he can outpoint Evloev if he could keep the space where he wants it to be. And I think that's kind of what you're going to see here. And if it's a scorecards, I wouldn't be surprised if it's a split decision type of fight. But for me, this is a dog or pass situation as well, because I don't think you can lay over 200 on Evloev in this spot. Because, I mean, again, he kind of fights to the level of his competition sometimes. And Dawadu, if you look how many split decision type of fights he has on his record, I mean, this has split decision, like I said, written all over it. So you cannot lay over two to one on a fight that I'm expecting to be fairly competitive. Can these guys finish each other? Absolutely. Dawadu has that kind of one punch knockout power with that speed. There's no question he can possibly land. Evloev is a pretty solid guy. Obviously, he's durable. He's tough. He hasn't showed us that he's vulnerable to getting KO'd. But again, Dawadu is the type of striker that could definitely end it with one punch. The other side of it, we have seen Dawadu, you know, obviously get rocked in fights and get hurt a little bit. And Evloev does have enough power to hurt Dawadu as well. So, of course, these guys, I think, have the ability to hurt each other, possibly finish each other. But more likely, it does hit the scorecards. It is a very competitive fight. And I'm going to take the better striker that has decent takedown defense to outpoint Evloev here and get the W. So I'm going to pick Dawadu. I think it is a dog or pass situation, and I think he's going to edge out a close decision win. And while I agree that this fight should be close, uh, I'm going to come in the other way. I mean, Evloev is the favorite for a reason. He is the more well-rounded fighter here. He has the better ground game. Um, I think he mixes up his striking really well. He pushes a good pace. Um, He is just a much more complete mixed martial artist. Now, that being said, 
uh, you know, Dawadu does have some really good striking skill, and he's showcased in his last few fights that, you know, he is somebody not to be messed with uh, in the division. Now, he's not blowing people away in his wins. I mean, honestly, he's on a five-fight win streak, and three of them are split decision wins. But that last win over Tahugov, that's a quality win. That really is. Um, and the Arce win was a quality win as well. So um, it seems like even though he's stepping up and taking on better and better competition, he is finding ways to eke out these close decisions. Could that happen here against Evloev? Absolutely. Um, you know, Evloev is rock solid and well-rounded, but it's not like he's blowing people out of the water either. Uh, against Mike Grundy, you know, he dropped that first round. He got taken down a few times. Eventually, he was able to figure it out, get pop back to his feet as soon as he did get taken down and, and outstrike Grundy. Uh, and then in his last fight against Nick Lentz, a fight that I thought, you know, he should win running away, he ended up just winning a split decision. So it's not like Evloev is just this monster world beater. I mean, he is a tremendously talented fighter, and the future is extremely bright for him. I mean, considering he's still you know, 27 years old and just starting to uh, turn into a, you know, a, a rock solid fighter. Um, there's still a lot of room for growth there. And Dewadu might be getting him at the right time. Who knows? Uh, so uh, it's entirely possible that uh, Dawadu keeps this upright and wins a striking battle with Evloev. If Evloev's willing to just engage him on the feet. Uh, but I think if Evloev mixes this up, takes it into the clinch, drags it to the ground a time or two, um, and just m uses all of his skills, that's where he has the edge. And I think he'll do that, but uh, I agree with Nick that this fight is crazy close and the line is way off. Um, like, I would not be surprised if Evloev only wins two out of three rounds and wins a split decision. So the fact that, you know, Dawadu is that big of an underdog uh, you know, is terrifying. So uh, Nick has the, the right idea, but I'm still going to go FLF. Now dropping down to the women's flyweight division, we have Lauren Murphy, who is 14 and four taking on Joanne Calderwood, who is 15 and five. Now, Nick, where did this fight open and how has the public shifted things so far? Calderwood open minus 150 Murphy plus 130. And right now what we're seeing over at circus sports is currently Calderwood minus 127, Murphy plus 107. Now the market op or the market lines right now out there across the Donbass screen looks like we have some minus 140s out there. So we're a little bit lower um, on Calderwood market wide um, than most people, and I think that's probably the right way to go here because this is going to be a, an extremely competitive fight if it does hit the scorecards. We know that time and time again, high level flyweight female fights tend to go to the scorecards and be very competitive. I think the grinding style of Murphy here is what you want to look at. I think obviously Calderwood on the feet is the better fighter. I think she has the more diverse striking ability. I think she could do a little bit more damage um, on the feet as well. Murphy, don't get me wrong. I mean, she pushes a high pace. She takes it. She dishes it out as well. She's going to be game. She's, she's up for a firefight. She's up for a fight anywhere the fight takes place. She's game. She's going to be ready to go. But she's not going to want to get 
into that striking battle the complete three rounds in this spot. She's going to want to mix things up. She's going to want to make this an ugly fight, push Calderwood up against the cage, get some takedowns on the ground. I think she was where she has her biggest advantage here and her grinding style is probably what's going to come through. So in this spot, it's got to be a dog or pass situation for me, I think, because again, a close competitive fight that's going to hit the scorecards. You don't want to be laying chalk in that situation, in my opinion. But overall, it looks like the market has been kind of going back and forth on this fight. We did see it bet down and then get back bet back up a little bit and Calderwood seems to be more of the popular play here. I don't agree with it. I'm going to pick Murphy to win this fight. Again, I'm expecting a very competitive tight fight, but I think it's going to be Murphy's fight to win or lose. If she can kind of make this again, a grueling type of fight where she could get those takedowns, mix things up on the feet and just kind of be the more complete mixed martial artist, which I think she is. So her fight style is not always the prettiest, but at the same time, she gets it done, and she's on an impressive little run here, and I think she's a little bit more consistent than Calderwood overall, too. So there's a lot to like about Murphy in this spot, so it's dogger pass, and I'm actually going to pick her to win this fight straight out. And I'm going to do the same thing. Uh, you know, Lauren Murphy has this ability to take on fighters that are more technically sound than her and just win anyway. Like, in terms of stand-up skill, yeah, Joanne Calderwood is way ahead of Lauren Murphy. Uh, she's got more power, she's got more technique, she mixes it up better. But it might not matter, because uh, Murphy is tenacious. I mean, she pushes forward, uh, she's aggressive, she forces her opponents to fight on their back foot consistently, and Calderwood really doesn't handle pressure that well. Uh, when push comes to shove, um, you typically see her... Uh, get pressured, fight off her back foot uh, against these type of fighters, and you know she can allow them to close the distance and then make it interesting. Um, and that's exactly what Lauren Murphy does. Now she's not the most technically sound grappler either. Um, she's not the greatest wrestler, but she's really strong. I mean, just very physically strong. And if she can back Calderwood up and get a hold of her. Um, we've seen Calderwood struggle on the ground. Uh, she does have some ground ability of her own, but if she loses a lot of times, it's because she gets taken down and then submitted. Uh, you saw it against Jessica Entourage. You saw it against Marina Morose. You saw it against Rose back on the Ultimate Fighter House. Um, you saw it uh, most recently against Jennifer Maya, pulling off an armbar against her out of nowhere. So... Um, and I understand Calderwood can win fights against decent opponents as well. I mean, she's got quality wins against the likes of Andrea Lee, Jessica I. I mean, and then you go all the way back and she's got plenty of wins back at uh, 115 as well. So, I mean, she is a solid, technically sound fighter. But uh, Lauren Murphy just has this kind of blood and guts tenacity and she's got confidence right now. And I think that she's going to come in here and push Joanne Calderwood around and just steal rounds with aggression. Um, I don't think that she has anything to fear out of Calderwood striking. I think that she has a lot of confidence in her ability to take a shot. So she's just going to move forward aggressively and pressure Joanne Calderwood. And that could open up the clinch. It could open up takedowns. It could just open up her, uh, you know, on the feet even. So, yeah, I like Lauren Murphy here. I think even though, again, she's not as technical as Joanne Calderwood, I think sometimes it just doesn't matter. And Murphy has this ability to overcome that. So I'm going to pick Lauren Murphy to, to win a decision here as well. 
Now, moving up to the light heavyweight division, we have a rematch here between Eric Anders, who is 13 and 5, and Darren Stewart, who is 12 and 6. Now, Nick, what's the MMA oddsmaker's perspective on this one? Anders minus 110, Stewart minus 110. And right now over Circus Sports, we are seeing Anders minus 150 to come back on Stewart at plus 130. More action coming in market-wide on Anders. Based on the first round of that fight that ended in a no contest due to the illegal knee from Anders. Looked like he was on his way to, to a victory. Had Stewart in all sorts of trouble at the end of that first round for sure. But that was just a glimpse. This is going to be a reset. This is going to be a new fight. Stewart going into that fight was actually favored over Anders. I think Stewart is the better mixed martial artist still at this point. And just because we saw what happened the first time around doesn't mean we're going to see that exact same thing happen this time in the rematch, right? And I think a lot of people are banking on Anders being the, the better fighter because of what we've seen. Might play out that way, but I don't think it will. I think still Stewart deserves to be the rightful favorite in this spot. I think he is the better striker. I think he can mix things up a little bit better across the board, and I think he can outpoint Anders. Anders is a tough guy, hard to finish. So I, I'm expecting this to kind of go back and forth. A lot of people probably think this fight's going to end either way. I think it has a tendency to kind of go over and hit the scorecards this time around, believe it or not, with Stewart actually edging out a decision over Anders. Um, so I'm going to lean that way. This kind of reminds me of the, the time where um, – Tim Means fought Oliveira, Cowboy Oliveira, and, and they had a rematch and the controversial finish or in the, the controversial ending the first time around had everybody believing that Tim Means was just going to roll Oliveira the second time. And it didn't happen. Oliveira ended up winning that rematch and a lot of people were kind of scratching their heads. So just don't get caught buying into what you've seen in that first five minutes of the first round of that fight. I think it could be possibly a different fight this time around, obviously. So don't base everything on that moment of time, I guess, is what I'm trying to spit out. I think Darren Stewart is a better mixed martial artist, and it's going to show here, and he's going to edge out this win. So it's dog or pass. I'm going to pick Stewart straight out to get the win over Anders. And I'm right with you. I think Stewart is the, the more well-rounded fighter. I think Stewart, honestly, is the more technical striker. Um, if this stays standing, yes, there's the chance that Anders clips him again and hurts him and takes him out because uh, Stewart does have... Uh, you know, some chin issues and Anders is powerful. So they're absolutely, you know, we could look like idiots and Anders could come in there and just obliterate Stewart and knock him out in 30 seconds and call it a wrap. But I think the more likely outcome here is Stewart grinds out a, a competitive decision. Um, I think Stewart can utilize his striking to win rounds I think Stewart can mix in takedown attempts. I think Stewart does have the better ground game here. I think the wrestling should be pretty evenly matched in terms of takedown ability and takedown defense. Um, and I think uh, just overall, uh, Stewart has more to offer right now. Like Anders is an exceptional athlete, but it always feels like, you know, he has never quite lived up to the potential that he had. And I think Stewart you know, after a really rough start to his UFC career, has settled in and, and kind of found his niche as, you know, a fringe top 15 middleweight. So I think this is a very winnable fight in this rematch. And I think Stewart, as long as he can protect that chin, is in a position to walk away the winner. So I'm picking Stewart. But again, you know, he absolutely needs to be careful and not, you know, get clipped because... That's how he loses. Now, dropping down to the lightweight division, we have 
Drew Dober, who is 23-10, taking on Brad Riddell, who is 9-1. Now, Nick, where did this fight open, and how has the public shifted things so far? Dober, minus 140. Riddell, plus 120. And right now, looking over at Circus Sports, we currently have Dober, minus 148. Riddell at plus 128. Market-wide, it looks like about minus 145s out there. So, Basically, a pretty solid price across the board, minus 145 right now for Dober over Riddell. Tough one, man. I mean, if you look recently, the only people that have really been beating Dober are ground fighters. And we know Riddell is not a ground fighter. He's a striker. So this should be a striker versus striker matchup. And if anybody's a ground fighter in this particular situation, it's probably Dober. He's got the better wrestling. He's got the better ground game in general. So that's what makes it intriguing here. Dober's knockout power is special, man. I mean, he's got that confidence. He's got that swag, training with Gaethje and crew. Everything has come together really, really well with Trevor Whitman and all the elite, elite level uh, training partners that he does have and the, the kind of attention that he's been getting the, these last couple of years has really paid dividends for Dober. The other side of it, Riddell, of course, training with Izzy, I mean, an elite level striker in MMA that we're all excited about watching him perform. I mean, he's had some really good performances thus far, some tough fights too, and he's really showed some solid skill, some good takedown defense, his ability to survive in, in tough positions on the ground. So he's developing into a, a true mixed martial artist as well. I just think that Dober is just a step ahead of him as far as overall skill set right now. And then Dober has just that eraser. I think Riddle can knock Dober out as well. I think it's it's one of those situations where these guys can both do damage and hurt each other. I just think that Dober, Dober has that ability to just put your lights out a little bit easier, if that makes sense. So I think Riddle, we have seen him be vulnerable at times on the feet, even though he shows some toughness. And I think Dober has that eraser that he could be in some big trouble if he lets Dober clip him here. So I think it is Dober's fight to win or lose. Again, he's not going to have to deal with somebody looking to take him to the ground and submit him on the ground or kind of work that angle of the fight. He, he's going to get an opportunity to kind of stand and display um, again, those hands that he has, that knockout power that he has here. So I think he's going to be up for it. And man, when he comes ready to fight and just puts it on you, it's fun to watch. So this should be an exciting fight. I'm going to lean towards Dober here and hopefully it lives up to what I think it can be. Riddell is on a very nice little roll here. Um, you know, overall he's won six in a row and he is three and zero in the UFC, but this is by far, I think, the, the toughest fight that he's had. Uh, Drew Dober is no joke. I mean, this guy has the ability to to not just win against quality fighters, but to finish them. I mean, he was able to you know knock out uh, Polo Reyes, Nasred Hakparist, and then Alexander Hernandez in back-to-back-to-back fights. And before that, he had quality wins over the likes of, you know, Josh Berkman, uh, a guy that was known for having a good chin, and he finished him. Uh, and then Frank Camacho, another guy that's really tough. And then John Tuck, another quality win. So um, basically, when he loses, it's been getting outgrappled. Uh, and that's not something he's going to have to worry about whatsoever here. I mean, literally, his last uh, four or five losses have all been by submission. So... Uh, that's really the only thing Drew Dober has to worry about typically in fights. And, uh, you know, Brad Rudell is a, a guy that wants to keep this upright. And that's what makes this fight so entertaining because uh, Rudell is a very solid striker. Um, now, he has not run away with fights, you know, in his wins. Uh, they've all been decisions so far in the UFC. He, you know, 
showcased some pretty good finishing ability before his time in the UFC. So I know he's capable of it, but I think uh, because Riddell is going to have to be uh, worrying a little bit about the power of Dober, that maybe he's going to be holding back a little bit. Um, but if once he settles in, his combinations are fierce. So uh, I think Dober should be able to start strong in this fight. And uh, I would not be shocked to see Dober win the first round or Dober to just win by knockout at any point. At any point. But uh, if Dober doesn't uh, take him out, um, Riddell's going to make this interesting, especially in rounds two and three, once he gets more comfortable and settles in. So, uh, I think this fight's going to be crazy close. I think it's, uh, uh, honestly, one of my favorites for fight of the night, but I'm going to go with Dober. I, I like that finishing ability. I like the confidence that he has on the feet, the improvement he's made there. Um, and while Riddell can win a decision here, I think the more likely outcome here is either a Dober decision or uh, perhaps a Dober TKO. So my pick is going to be Drew Dober. Now, moving on to the main card in the light heavyweight division, we have Jamaha Hill, who is 8-0, taking on Paul Craig, who is 14-4-1. Now, Nick, what's the MMA oddsmaker's perspective on this one? Hill, minus 300, Craig, plus 250. And right now, over at Circus Sports, we have Hill, minus 305, the comeback on Craig, plus 255. So market-wide, it's around 3-1. to one. Very solid opener, staying pretty stable. Look, man, hard not to like what Paul Craig has done in his UFC career. Surprising to me, man. I mean, I, I haven't been on this guy's wagon at all. And, and he continues to kind of impress and perform above expectations, to be honest with you. I mean, that last fight against Shogun, we, I understand he's past his prime, right? It's a Shogun that, you know... Once was a great fighter, and now it's it's not the case anymore. But still, for Paul Craig to come in here and get that win after you know that close fight they had the first time around and win that rematch decisively like he did, that's pretty impressive. I mean, Anta Gulov win. I mean, he's he's pulled off some pretty solid wins on his resume, uh, and he's always getting better. It seems in the stand up, his toughness, his wrestling ability. Now he knows he belongs, and he's on a three fight win streak here. It's pretty impressive, man. I mean, you have to take your head off to Craig. I just think he's up against it here against Hill. I think Hill is going to deliver some punishment. I think Hill is a special fighter, potentially going to get himself set up with, if he continues to impress and improve as he has thus far in the light heavyweight division, I think he can get himself into the title mix here. I mean, this guy has that special finishing ability, that special knockout power. He has to continue to develop his takedown defense, his wrestling his grappling because people are going to want to take this guy to the ground. And this is a really good test. I mean, hats off again to the UFC matchmakers here because they matched Hill up and they're really trying to see what he's capable of against a guy that's gritty like Craig that shows some toughness for sure. That's going to look to take this fight to the floor and that's going to look to end this fight on the floor if he gets Hill down. So I like the matchmaking here for sure. I think it's a spot though, that Hill is going to impress and, and continue to kind of climb up that ladder because I think he can finish Craig in the spot. So I think Craig's, Pretty fun run has come to an end here against this spot against uh, Hill. Don't get me wrong. If, if Craig is able to get this fight to the floor, it's going to get interesting, and maybe he could pull off the W here for sure. But I still think this is Hill's fight to win or lose. I think it's going to, like I said, it's kind of kind of be a showcase type of highlight reel knockout potentially for Hill if, if he's able to fight his game plan and his style and implement everything 
I think he can get it done and be very effective and probably get the highlight reel type of finish. So my pick is Hill. I think he gets it done. I like what I see from this guy, but he still continues and he needs to continue that development for sure and get to a better spot. But I think the hype is real and let's see what he can do here in this spot against Craig. I mean, honestly, this fight could go one of two ways. Um, Either Paul Craig is able to get this to the floor and utilize his elite ground skills and win by either ground and pound TKO or uh, submission. Or Hill just steamrolls Craig on the feet. I mean, obliterates him. Um, Those are realistically the only two outcomes. I mean, when you look at how uh, Craig loses, I mean, he can get absolutely blitzed. I mean, Tyson Pedro finished him in the first round. Khalil Roundtree finished him in the first round. Jimmy Crute finished him in the first round. And Alonzo Menafield finished him in the first round. And actually, Jimmy Crute finished him in the end of the third round. My apologies. But uh, when he loses, he loses by finish. And three of those finishes have been ferocious beatdowns with strikes. And that's what Hill brings. I mean, Hill is a special type of striker. Uh, This guy, um, he can hurt you in terms of power. He has some good kicks. Uh, He has good ground and pound, although hopefully he does not decide to do that because I think if he screws around and does take this to the floor, um, he could get himself in some trouble. I mean, uh, Paul Craig is just that good on the ground and we've seen him repeatedly get taken down and then triangle choke his opponent. He did it against Nchekwu. He did it against Antigulov. He did it against Ankolaev. I mean, that's just what this man does. Uh, uh, he has like five or six, maybe even more than that triangle choke victories. So just don't take him down. If you're Hill, please. Try to do what you did against Ovin St. Prue, where Hill was able to go to work with combinations and score uh, a TKO on the feet. Uh, you know, Ovin St. Prue just got completely overwhelmed and the fight got stopped. So that's what uh, I would do if I'm if I'm Hill. Just swarm Craig, keep blasting him with punches. He does not have the best chin. And if he goes to the ground, just make him get back up. Don't even follow him down there and try to finish him with ground and pound. Let him back up and drop him again until the, the fight is stopped. Uh, you just don't want to screw around there. It's just you're playing with fire. And just do your best to try to keep this fight upright. Use, utilize your distance. Find those openings because Craig is going to give them to you. Uh, he just does... He has some power on the feet, and he's not a terrible striker. He's just not as dangerous as Hill. So uh, I think Hill is going to win this fight, but I'm going to be nervous about it the entire time because I know that Craig is that dangerous on the ground. So my pick is Hill, but again, be careful out there. Now, dropping down to the welterweight division, we have Damian Maya, who is 28-10, taking on Bilal Muhammad, who is 18-3. Now, Nick, where did this fight open, and how has the public shifted things so far? Muhammad opened minus 220, the comeback on Maya, plus 185. And right now, looking at Circus Sports, Muhammad minus 200, the comeback on Maya, plus 175. So... 
no secrets here, man. What needs to be done? I mean, Maya gets the fight to the floor against anybody. He can probably get it done by submission, right? We've seen it time and time again. One of the most special grapplers we've ever seen in MMA. I mean, I love this guy. I mean, I just love what he's been able to accomplish in the welterweight division and where he got himself. It's just amazing. And he's had a heck of a career. And I know it's kind of coming to an end here shortly. He's only have a, has a couple fights left, but Muhammad's a tough fight for him. If he's not able to get this fight to the floor, then Muhammad's going to bust him up. I think he can outpoint him on the feet. He can possibly knock my out. I mean, he's 43 years old. His chin is definitely not as strong and as sturdy as it has been in the past because of father time. I mean, I'm not just saying that because he got knocked out in the, in the birds fight, you know, in his last performance, but I mean, it's going to come right where it's going to come a time in everybody's career where that chin starts to go a little bit. So Muhammad has enough knockout power, I think on the feet to maybe catch Maya and put him out. If not, I think Muhammad fights a smart fight. It's his fight to win or lose. He can outpoint Maya kind of follow the game plan like Usman and, and Woodley and those guys kind of had against Maya, right? Just fight very safe and just kind of try to outpoint Maya and let the knockout come if it comes. I think that's the way this fight plays out. And I, I have to lean towards Muhammad because it's really his fight to win or lose. But Maya, extremely dangerous. So I'm not telling you guys to go out there and hop on Muhammad and lay minus 200, minus 230s out there. Don't do that. I mean, Maya is too dangerous to kind of take that risk. But I do think Muhammad should win this fight. It's his fight to win or lose. So I'm going to pick him to win. And again, much respect to Maya. But I think it's Muhammad's time now. He's got some swag. He's got some confidence. And I think he's probably going to perform pretty well here. So the pick is Muhammad. And I'm going to go Muhammad as well. Um, Typically, you know, Muhammad has shown excellent wrestling and the ability to keep fights upright when he wants them there and uh, excellent striking. I mean, this guy is a solid, well-rounded fighter that's been on a roll now. Uh, that last fight was kind of weird against uh, Edwards with the, the early eye poke, um, but uh, that ended up uh, ending it uh, too early to a no contest. But uh, against Damian Maya, I mean, he just has to utilize that wrestling in reverse, keep his distance, and just outpoint Maya. And as long as he does that, he should be able to get a win. Now, Damian Maya is so technically sound with his jujitsu and if he can get a hold of muhammad and get him to the floor i mean he can have his way with just about anybody in that department so that's something he's going to muhammad is going to have to be thinking about the entire fight but maya when he's forced to stand and trade I mean, he tires out. I mean, that is not his strong suit. His conditioning is for grappling. And I think Muhammad can wear Maya out by forcing him to, to strike. And uh, realistically, uh, you got to think, you know, Damien Maya is very close to the end of his career at this point. I mean, he is 43 years old. So, uh, I mean, this this very well could be the last fight that he has in the UFC, honestly. So, you know, what better way for, you know, him to kind of pass the torch than to, you know, take on somebody like an up and comer like Bilal Muhammad, who is fighting at a high level, um, has not lost uh, in his last six fights, has quality wins during that stretch over the likes of Curtis Millinder, Sato, Lyman Good, Diego Lima. So, you know, this guy is very, very capable uh, of getting the win here. Uh, he just has to, you know, not make the mistake of allowing Maya to to get this to the floor. If he does, you know, he could absolutely get finished, uh, just because Maya can do that to anybody. But 
I think Muhammad does keep that wrestling in reverse. I think he keeps it upright. I think Maya starts to gas as this as he's forced to fight out of his comfort zone. And I think that Muhammad either wins a decision here or perhaps even gets a late TKO stoppage. So my pick is going to be below Muhammad. Now, sticking with the welterweight division, we have a unique five-round non-title, non-main event featuring Leon Edwards, who is 18-3, and three, and Nate Diaz, who is 20-12. and 12. Now, Nick, what's the MMA Oddsmaker's perspective on this one? Edwards minus 275, Diaz plus 220. That was the opener, believe it or not. And right now what we're seeing over at Circus Sports is Edwards minus 535. The comeback on Diaz at plus 420. So line has shifted drastically out there. There's 600s out there across the market. We're a little bit lower. We haven't been pounded on Edwards, to be honest with you guys. So I know the Diaz money is going to come in, and our splits are so good in comparison to the market a lot of times. that I mean, we have plus 420 on our comebacks out there, and these guys that have minus 600 have like plus 400s out there, for crying out loud. So still comparable um, to the market out there. And that, that, again, just a quick shameless plug for Circa, but it's true, man. That's why this is one of the best places to bet on UFC and MMA at Circa Sports because their splits, especially on UFC, are more than fair, and you can find some value on either side. So that being said... Edwards minus 535, DS plus 420. The opener, obviously, minus 275 was way too low. I mean, if you guys pounced on that line on the way up, congrats. I think it's a very tough stylistic matchup for Diaz. I have a lot of respect for Diaz. Both the Diaz brothers are so fun to watch. Historically, they're such good fighters. I mean, underrated, I think, is Nate Diaz in his striking ability, period. I mean, a lot of people don't picture him as a knockout artist or whatnot, but it's the ability to put his hands on you, his precision, and his underrated power. He's got more zip on those punches than people realize. But in this spot here, I think Edwards is the more slick, the more technical striker. He's got, I think, more power in his hands. Um, I I think he's going to utilize his defense a little bit better, too. He's better defensively sound than Diaz. I think he's a better wrestler in this spot, and he can get the takedowns if needed, possibly. We've seen that start coming to play in the Edwards game as well. So this is a very difficult fight for Diaz because if he can't submit Edwards and get the takedowns and utilize that offense on the ground, I think he's going to be in some trouble here because he will – get busted open. I mean, Edwards has those sharp elbows. He's got that punishment that he can dish out for sure. And Diaz, one thing that bothers me is if you're betting on Nate Diaz these days, is just like Nick in the past. I mean, these guys get busted open. That scar tissue is a, is a problem to have because, I mean, like the Masvidal fight, I mean, I'm not shocked the way it ended. The doctor had to end it because of Diaz getting busted open, right? So that is a very real possibility in most of Diaz's fights, just despite him doing relatively well. He could be winning a fight and still get stopped because of that, right? So that's not what you want to see, and that's not where you kind of want to put your money at in this spot like this, I think, to be honest with you. So for me, I like what I see from Diaz. I think he's always been kind of underrated, if that makes sense. I know it's crazy because he's had these marquee matchups, but I still don't think the overall betting community has given Diaz enough respect. I mean, he opens it up as a decent dog time and time again, and he's come through several times throughout his career, and he's cashed a lot of tickets for folks out there. So you got to respect Nate Diaz. I, I just think, unfortunately for him in this spot, it's just a bad Celtic matchup, and Edwards should roll. So my pick is Edwards, but again, at the price, are you kidding me? you got to stay away from it at 5-1. to one. If you miss the boat from 3-1 to one to 5-1, to one, stay away from it now. There's nothing you can do about it. Just stay away from it. Enjoy it. Hopefully, it's a good fight. Like Brian said, it's a five-round fight for a reason. It's a special fight. It could be headlining a card, but we're getting it. It's kind of like a third type of main event here. So it's pretty slick like this card. And again, we're going to talk about the next two fights ahead of us with the title fights, but this is up there 
this is going to be a great fight as well. So looking forward to this, but my pick is Edwards. And I'm going to go Edwards as well. Um, I think it could be competitive. I mean, Nate Diaz has, uh, you know, good conditioning. He fights at a really high pace and he goes in there and he can slug it out with a lot of people. I mean, um, obviously we've seen him take on Conor McGregor and be successful. We've seen him most recently get a win against Anthony Pettis. Um, and, uh, while he has been relatively inactive ever since the, the Conor McGregor fights, um, he is still always going to be dangerous. I mean, this is a guy that has been in there against some of the best in the world. Uh, you know, most recently, um, took on Jorge Masvidal and that was a really exciting fight. Uh, the thing is though, that kind of holds Nate Diaz back is, he does not check leg kicks, so I think Leon Edwards could just eat up his legs with low kicks. And uh, Diaz is a bit one-dimensional, well, not really one-dimensional, but on the feet, it's all about the boxing. And he does have a tremendous ground game and submission ability, but he can get smothered on the canvas as well by a good wrestler. And Leon Edwards has excellent wrestling. So... If for some reason Diaz is finding success on the feet or if he hurts Edwards, Edwards could always uh, shoot in for a takedown. And as long as he doesn't do something silly like leave his neck out and get triangle choked or guillotine choked or something, um, I think Edwards could just smother Diaz and win there. That being said, Edwards should be the better striker here too. I mean, he just mixes it up well. He's a solid technical, technically sound striker. And uh, the biggest thing going against Diaz, historically, I mean, this just happens time and time again, is when he gets hit, he opens up like a faucet. And that's how he lost his last fight against Jorge Masvidal. I even think I called that, that Masvidal and him were going to you know, have a competitive stand-up fight, but at some point Masvidal was just going to open up a cut and that could stop the fight. And that's what happened. Um, and I think that's what's going to happen here. Uh, you know, Nate Diaz has a ton of scar tissue around his eyes, and when he gets hit with good punches there, it just opens up, and I think that that's probably what's going to happen here again. So uh, I think Edwards chews up Diaz's legs, and then that will open up his head, and then a big cut will probably end it and give Edwards uh, a doctor stoppage. So my pick is going to be Edwards, but Nate Diaz is full of surprises, and you never know. But Edwards should get the win here. Now, this brings us to the co-main event of the evening. We have a UFC flyweight title rematch between champion Davis and Figueredo, who is 20, with one loss and one draw, taking on Brandon Moreno, who is 18-5-2. Now, Nick, where did this fight open, and how has the public shifted things so far? Figueredo minus 275 to come back on Moreno at plus 215. And right now, looking over Circus Sports, we have Figueredo minus 210 to come back on Moreno plus 180. So line did drop a little bit. Hey, hats off to you guys out there respecting Moreno. Look, I told you guys the first time it was going to be a close fight. Say what you will. Figueredo deserved to win that fight, that point deduction, all the circumstances surrounding that fight. Hard to argue it. That was just such a classic fight. I mean, I think they were both winners in that fight. But not going to deny the fact that Figueredo more times than not would have won that fight and edged out a very close competitive decision over Moreno, right? So draw 
point deduction, all that stuff, I get it. But the point is, Moreno performed, I think, better than most people expected. And I think in this spot here, he's going to do the same thing. He's going to outperform what people are expecting here as well, because I think he could tweak a little bit of those adjustments that he needs to make and make this a more fight-friendly situation for him moving forward in this spot. Get some takedowns. I think he could deliver a little bit more punishment on the feet. I think he's going to have more confidence knowing that he can handle and withstand some of the punishment that Figueredo has to dish out, right? So that being said, Figueredo always a dangerous man. I'm expecting to see, obviously, the best version of him moving forward as well. I mean, he continues to impress and get better fight by fight. I realize that. Both these guys are at the stage in their career where we're going to continue to see them get better. I mean, Moreno, obviously, the younger fighter. Uh, He's 27 years old where Figueredo's 33, but still, Figueredo in MMA years is still as crazy as it sounds developing, and he's still not an old man, especially in the flyweight division or whatnot at this stage of the game for sure. So I've seen the improvements in his game. I've seen the swag, the confidence, everything. He's coming out saying that he's going to destroy Moreno. Hey, look, to be honest with you, if he goes out here and finishes Moreno, I'm not going to be shocked if he finishes him around one or two. That guy has – he's a killer. At 125, he's one of the best finishers I've seen in that weight class for sure. So he's got that capability in him. But the other end of it, Moreno's being slept on as a finisher as well. This guy has slick submission skill. He's got the ability to hurt you on the feet as well. So I wouldn't sleep on him possibly finishing Figueredo, which sounds crazy. I realize that because Figueredo is tough as nails. But more than likely, if Moreno gets it done, it's probably going to be a close decision, though. And I think that's how this fight's going to play out. I think both these guys are durable. I think it's going to be another epic fight of the year type of candidate, back and forth type of war. I just think Moreno is going to make those necessary adjustments needed, get a few more takedowns here, and outpoint Figueredo to get the scorecards his way a little bit more clear this time. But again, I am expecting a competitive decision for sure if it hits the cards. A lot of people are betting the under in this fight. They believe there is going to be a finish. And again, if you guys are, the narrative is it's probably Figueredo. I don't know. Like I said, to, I think honestly Moreno is game and he's a finisher as well. So don't sleep on Moreno finishing here. So the under... I understand why it's a tempting play, but for me, I think it's Moreno and likely by decision in a very close competitive fight. So I'm going to pick Moreno and it's a dogger pass situation. And I'm hoping this kind of lives up to what we we saw the first time because, man, that was one of the best fights ever in the flyweight division and in the history of MMA. I mean, you got to put it up there. It was such a classic battle. So hope we get to see a similar type of fight. That'd be great for all of us and just expecting great things from both these guys moving forward. And I'm going to come in the other way. I mean, Davis and Figueredo is just the most well-rounded, dangerous fighter in the division. And if he's going to lose, it's going to be against somebody that can take him down and keep him down and smother him with a good ground game. I just, while Moreno was competitive in that last fight, he still lost three out of the five rounds. And the only reason it was a draw was uh, because uh, Figueredo lost a point. Um, and a few people, you know, looking at MMA decisions, about half of them actually gave Figueredo four out of the five rounds and, and actually awarded him the fight anyway, even with the point induction. So uh, I expect Moreno to be competitive, but Figueredo is the more technically sound striker. Uh, I think that these guys can slug it out and be entertaining, but I don't really see Moreno hurting or finishing Figueredo, and I don't see him outpointing Figueredo with a superior technique. Um, if he's gonna win, uh, he does have some, uh, you know, funky striking techniques, and and he has a style that's awkward. Uh, it's unorthodox, so it does allow him to to find opportunities and openings that maybe you know a regular, boring, you know more technically sound striker 
maybe would have trouble against Figueredo. But uh, that being said, I just think that heading into this rematch, Figueredo is going to be crazy motivated. I think he's going to buckle down and I think he's going to take care of business. I mean, this fight should still be extremely entertaining for however long it lasts, but I would not be shocked to see Figueredo win in a much more convincing fashion this time around. Like, I don't think he's going to hold back and I expect him to be very aggressive and and perhaps even look to, to take Moreno out. I think he was embarrassed that that last fight was a draw. Uh, it's been a really long time since we've had something like that in a title fight. So uh, I expect Figueredo to showcase why he is the best current flight flyweight on the planet uh, and the best flyweight in the UFC. So Figueredo is going to be my pick and I think he at least wins a one-sided decision, if not worse. Now, this brings us to the main event of the evening in the middleweight division. We have another rematch, except the first time these two fought was not for the belt. This time it is. Uh, as champion Israel Adesanya, who is 20-1, takes on Marvin Vittori, who is 17-3-1. Now, Nick. What's the MMA oddsmaker's perspective on this one? Adesanya minus 235, Vittori plus 200. And right now over at Circus Sports, the current betting line is Adesanya minus 250, the comeback on Vittori at plus 215. Izzy's not losing two fights in a row, right? No way. That's a narrative out there. He's dropping back down to 185. He was up a weight class, just too big, too strong. Blahovich. Hey, I'll I tell you what, I know I'm being sarcastic here, but that being said, I actually think that Adesanya performed really well and probably is not getting as much credit as he should be getting for that performance up a weight class against Blahovich, right? I, I mean, that was still a pretty competitive fight, but I still think people are just not understanding that, I mean, what happened in that fight is real, meaning that Blahovich adjusted, adapted, started getting those takedowns, started doing what he had to do to get the W there. And Adesanya was in trouble on the ground a little bit. I mean, that's how he got beat. The ground game of Blahovich was effective enough to get the W for him, right? And, I mean, we saw that. Now, down a weight class, I get it. Adesanya's takedown defense has been pretty good overall. Um, but we did see Vittori start having success the first time around, getting the fight to the floor more so in the third round. And if you look at Adesanya historically throughout his UFC career, that's the problematic spot. It seems to be around that third round where the takedowns start coming a little bit easier for his opponents that are looking to do so. Not easy to get it down, but again, if you look back historically, the people that have had success have come usually in round three or so where the takedowns come. Now, this is a five-round fight. If Vittori starts delaying those takedowns in round three, I think he's going to be able to do it in round four and round five as well. So it's going to be interesting the first couple rounds. I get Adesanya will be able to outpoint Vittori. There's no question he's a better striker. He's a more effective striker. He's going to come out here not wanting to go five rounds. He's going to want to redeem himself, chip on the shoulder, all that stuff. I get it. But Vittori's a pretty durable guy. He's not easy to, to take out. Um, I think the, the fight with Holland not too long ago, I mean, he's kind of getting thrown right back in the mix soon. And a lot of people are indicating that maybe Adesanya is kind of playing mental warfare by making this fight so soon in comparison to, you know, him getting a little bit more rest where Vittori just had a grueling five round fight not too long ago or whatnot. But that being said, I think actually that fight against Holland was a good tune up session, a good training session for what he has to do here. He's got to implement that same game plan, that same style against Adesanya. Not going to be easy. It's going to be a tougher fight for him for sure. Cause Adesanya is a special fighter, but 
I do think Vittoria is tough enough, durable enough, and smart enough with a wrestling actually a little bit better than Blahovich as far as the pure wrestling skill goes. I think he's going to be able to implement that same type of game plan and that same style and probably make this a tough, miserable type of fight as it goes for Adesanya. So I'm picking Vittori straight out, to be honest with you. It's a dog or pass situation. I, I do have a ton of respect for Adesanya. I get it. I mean, just a special elite fighter on the feet, especially. But I just think the styles make fights. And Vittori is a difficult stylistic matchup for Adesanya at this point. So I'm going to pick him to win. I'm going to, like I said, it's a dog or pass situation. And I think we're going to see a new UFC champion crown at 185. As crazy as that is, I believe. I know a lot of people don't think he's going to drop two in a row, but I think it's going to happen. We're going to see and new middleweight champion Marvin Vittori after UFC 263. And believe it or not, I agree. I think uh, Marvin Vittori is in a unique position here to exploit some of the weaknesses that we just saw in Israel Adesanya's game. Now, on the feet, if it's just a pure stand-up type of striking battle, Adesanya is going to hold his own and possibly beat just about anybody on the planet. I mean, he is that type of special striker. Um, he mixes it up. He, he launches attacks. He utilizes distance perfectly. Uh, he catches people on the way in with perfectly timed shots. I mean, he is just sensational. I mean, some of the things he's done against guys that are just killers, like uh, Robert Whitaker, and obviously more recently uh, the the stoppage victory against Paula Costa. Uh, I mean, they're just unreal, unreal. That being said, uh, when he is concerned about the takedown, he is a different fighter. I mean, look what happened. Uh, the the closest fights of his career, you know, the first Marvin Vittori fight. He barely walked away with a split decision. Um, then uh, the Kelvin Gastelum fight, one of the closest fights that he's had. And, and that fight didn't really even go to the ground that much. He was just concerned about the takedown. And then most recently, Jan Blachowicz, uh he was holding his own on the feet, if not winning the stand-up exchanges out of Sanya. But once Blachowicz took the fight to the floor and realized that he could take the fight to the floor... Uh, it just became a whole new ball game, and Blockowitz was able to just run away with it with top position. Uh, and honestly, Marvin Vittori is a better wrestler than Jan Blahovich. So I think what happens here is if Adesanya does not take Vittori out quickly, I think Vittori just starts wearing him down uh, with takedowns. And Vittori's a good striker as well. I mean, you saw that in his uh, last few fights. I mean, he has really been able to showcase the, the well-roundedness of his game. Um, he was able to keep it upright and batter Jack Hermanson. And then in his last fight, he held his own on the feet against a very dangerous striker in Kevin Holland, who was built very similarly, honestly, to Israel Adesanya. And then mix in takedowns and take Holland off of his feet and easily, you know, win a decision. So I think that's what happens here. Uh, I think Adesanya is going to start strong and look good. And if he does not finish Marvin Vittori, I think Vittori starts getting takedowns, wearing Adesanya out and eventually winning a decision. If not getting a late stoppage with that top position and the damage that he's able to accumulate. So my pick here is going to be Marvin Vittori. I think he will be the new UFC middleweight champion of the world. 
So that'll do it for our full event breakdown for UFC 263. If we have any free plays to give out, make sure to follow at MMAOB Premium on Twitter because that's where we'll give them out first. We also have a free bet section on the MMA Oddsbreaker page at the top tabs. Just click the free bets and you will see them. Sometimes we even have some NASCAR plays as well. Remember, check out MMA Oddsbreaker Premium. Good luck, everyone, and hopefully the betting gods are on your side this weekend.